0: Hello, good day. I hope you are happy, joyous, and free, which
1: we can all be when we realize that life isn't a zero sum game. You do not need to force somebody else to die, another being to die to live. You can live in a world of natural abundance where we all have plenty of food to eat, where the animals are respected, and the only thing that needs to change is our diet. We've got incredible. Panelists today, Gwenna Hunter of Vegan Outreach, as well as Victor Flores of Vegan Outreach. Gwenna, who is a dear friend and a contributor to Jane Unchained, mm-hmm. also started Vegans for Black Lives Matter recently and actually made news because thousands of people signed up almost immediately. It was a genius idea. Where have you taken that? What have you
2: done recently that is so extraordinary, Gwenna? So what has happened recently, um, and this is through Vegan Outreach, the nonprofit organization that I actually work for, um, what we were able to do uh, two Sundays ago was we partnered with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and we were able to provide over 200 bags of fresh um, produce, um, some dry goods, and also we provided them right before their Black Lives Matter meeting with hot fruit, hot food from Jackfruit Cafe and also from Vagana. so um, it was amazing. Um, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Melina Abdullah, um, had messaged me and said that um, you have us eating vegan in this household with a few exceptions. So it was just really, really exciting. Um, it's it, it's it's just been a, a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful journey, and you know I really have you to without getting into the details, to thank for pushing me on that.
1: It's a team effort. We're all doing so many things. But, Gwenna, you're a person who what I love about you is you don't just talk ideas. You take it to the finish line. You get <laughs> it done. Does anybody have any idea how hard it is to gather meals, vegan, healthy, plant-based
2: meals for how many people? Um, we, we prepared bags for 250, um, and this was with, like, really, like, six days' notice. So it was like we had to find a facility to do all this bagging, had to get the volunteers together, make sure that we had the right volunteers, um, and, you know, because everything comes, like, on a, on a truck. The produce comes on a truck, and it gets dropped off. So it wasn't like we had to pack the bags like we were in the supermarket, (laughs) 250 bags, and then have some people drive them over. And there were probably about 400 to 500 people at the Black Lives Matter meeting. It was so incredibly diverse. It was so full of love and unity. And just people just wanted to make the planet better. So um, I couldn't have been more proud of the work that I did that day.
1: And we are gonna to get to Victor Flores and his important work in a second, but just to carry the thread through, uh, obviously the goal was to give people who really need food some nutritious food as yes. opposed to feeding them food that is part of the problem. Meat and That's dairy right. is the problem. It's the problem to our health problems, our healthcare costs, our yes. environmental wreckage, and pandemics as well. There's zoonotic yes. diseases that jump from animals to humans. So why feed people the problem when we should be feeding them the solution? Uh, Not to mention the fact that processed meat, which is what a lot of groups are feeding these people, is um, cancer-causing, officially, and that meat and dairy contributes to the other leading killer, aside from COVID-19, heart disease. So you're feeding really nutritious, plant-based food to people. Who are these people? Like Just paint a picture of where the need is. Because I think some people who are not out there on the streets don't really understand that hunger is a real thing in the United States of America today?
2: Well, it's, it's incredibly, it's, it's a super issue. And so what we, what I do, and, and Victor probably should jump into this part of the conversation because he's really, he's diving even deeper. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much feeding the revolution right now, <laughs> so to speak. And we also do another community that's in the Leimert Park area, which, um, these are kind of like food desert areas. So yeah, they have grocery stores like Food for Lesses and things like that. But it's really hard to come by things like organic strawberries. If you've ever watched a video about eating organic or about eating strawberries that are not organic, you'll never eat another non-organic strawberry again. So we make sure that we get the hard-to-find items and um, that are in these certain communities, and make sure that we provide those in addition to uh, leaf vegetables every week we try to switch it up and get a new like some weeks we'll do green beans and then the leader of the organization that we're working with will put together recipes plant-based recipes for everyone we've had people come back and say hey i'm feeling so much better i'm not cooking with the same amount of meat as i was before i can't believe this is vegan this is blowing my mind because people still have the misconception that plant-based foods are disgusting they don't taste good you have to give this but you have to exchange. You have to change your whole life in order to have this lifestyle. And people are realizing that they have more options with the plant-based lifestyle. And I want to say you really enlightened me a couple of weekends ago um, when we were last on the show, and you we were talking about the fast food industry mm-hmm. and how basically these fast foods are definitely in communities of color. That's like that's a given. But how they also we're funding certain groups. By spending our dollars at these fast food companies, and I don't want to get it because I'm—I don't know what I can say and what I can't no, say I mean, on here, look, but <laughs> I, I don't
1: think we need to mention brand names. But the truth is, there's been many articles written about this that yeah. the money that fast food generates generally goes to um, the uh, the folks. Let's 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 just call it what it is—the Trump administration right now, yeah. which is in diametric opposition to Black Lives Matter. So why go to a protest and then go to a fast food restaurant and fund the opposition? Yes. Yes. And this is exactly what's happening. And so um, it it, it would be like, um, well, I I don't even think we need a a parallel or a metaphor or an analogy. It is funding the opposition. Now, thank you, Victor Flores, for your patience. Um, We wanted to bring the breaking news of all the people that Gwena has been feeding healthy plant-based food, people associated with the Black Lives Matter movement, to try to make a connection there as well. And we'll get back to that in a second. But, Victor, you're doing extremely important work. Where are you and what work are you doing?
3: I'm located uh, close to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So most of my work has has been in the state of New Mexico and parts of Texas and a little bit in Arizona. Um, Lately, we've been doing a lot, kind of similar to what Gwen has been doing, feeding people. Um, Me, personally, here in Albuquerque, we've been reaching uh, families that are undocumented, uh, families that were in the housekeeping sector, people that were in the landscaping sector, people that were in elder care, uh, daycares, that lost their jobs and just don't have any income coming in. And we've been providing uh, food, hot meals. Uh, just providing just nutritious food and also providing them information to eat a little bit you healthier.
1: Food. Unfortunately, <laughs> most Americans think, you know, chicken. Or what kind of food are you providing them?
3: Yeah, we, we provide, also, obviously, I'm very, uh, I, I focus on culture, so a cultural sensitive foods uh, regarding tacos, uh, foods that are familiar to these communities, and they're all plant-based. So we'll do tacos one day, we might do burritos another day, we'll do enchiladas another day. Um, We do a variety of different foods, and as you all know, anything can be made vegan. So we definitely provide that food, and people can relate to it and uh, recognize that it's still delicious.
1: Now, you are also working with the Native American communities. Can you tell us about that?
3: Sure. Yeah. The Navajo Nation, obviously, a lot of people know they've been on the news lately and uh, even before COVID hit, they've been struggling with various things and uh, they uh, have been struggling even worse now with COVID and we've been providing uh, fresh produce to various communities in the Navajo Nation, which expands a little bit into Arizona, also in New Mexico. And uh, we've gotten uh, a few weeks ago, we got out 500 boxes out to various communities there partnering with Navajo organizations.
1: Now, so many of these communities are facing real crises with their health, and a lot of it stems from what they're eating. One of the things that we're trying to get across to people is this allegiance to food that is killing them, that is making them sick, enriching people who are not aligned with them philosophically, values, politically, or whatever. It's monumentally self-destructive. By the way, we've got people watching on Facebook where we simulcast from all over the world. We've got Natasha Beckles watching from London. Gwen and Victor, vegan branch of the social justice movement. And you can call in 1-866-472-5795. So what I wanted to ask you, Gwenna, is when you're feeding this great, healthy, nutritious, plant-based food to people who are involved with Black Lives Matter, is there a way to communicate that, A, many of the leaders in the civil rights movement were plant-based because they connected the dots, and that there is this whole notion of supporting the oppressors through diet and in a society where money talks more than anything else. That's why Jane Unchained is involved with the boycott meat movement. Uh, forming a giant coalition, it would be great to have Black Lives Matter join the Boycott Meat moving because right now slaughterhouse workers who are almost exclusively people of color are dying of COVID-19. And um, also they're getting sick with COVID-19 because COVID-19 is one of the, um, it's one of the hotbeds of COVID-19 are slaughterhouses. So let me throw that to you, Victor, because you represent a lot of people who are, um, immigrants and immigrants typically are the ones who work in the slaughterhouses. Do they get the connection between meat and dairy is funding their oppression? I think the message
3: needs to be a little bit clearer for them and also needs to be said by people that they know and in their language. So I think that's something we need to work on uh, extensively. I live maybe about four hours from Amarillo, Texas, which is a panhandle of Texas. And as you all well know, the cases in Texas spiked and even since, uh, May, uh, a lot of the cases were attributed to slaughterhouse workers. I was reading an article this morning about 50 of the slaughterhouse workers in one plant close to Amarillo, Texas w- was just from the plant itself. So most of the COVID cases in that town were from slaughterhouse workers. So obviously it's something we need to look at. And, and uh, again, just communicating in the same language, uh, offering, you know, extending, uh, the, our information that we have. Me growing up, I grew up in that area. I grew up on a ranch and, um, not coming across a vegetarian, I never knew a vegetarian, much less a vegan, I was never exposed to this information. So I think it's very important we get this information out to these communities and they learn about what's really going on.
1: And let me say this, people talk about hunger in America and there are people going hungry, there are people who do not have enough to eat, but that's because of misdistribution of food. The fact is we live in a world of natural abundance where we could all have all the food we need and then some. The reason we have food scarcity is because we are so heavily invested in the most inefficient food source ever invented, meat and dairy. So we know I have my little dog here. This is Rico. He's my co-host. Little Rico eats food far more than, I know he hates this when we do this example, but we do it. God forbid we killed Rico, chopped him up, deboned him, and um, removed all his body parts and his eyeballs and his nose and his paws and his tail and chopped the rest of his body up into little um, patties. Obviously, he would have eaten far more than he um, produced as meat. The same applies to pig's and cows and chickens. Uh, and so, it's a very inefficient food source. Use a million statistics, I won't bore you with them, but I'll hit you with a couple. 75% of all soy produced is fed to farm animals. Um, a huge percentage of the corn produced is fed to farm animals. 40% of the fish fished out of the ocean is fed to farm animals. So, this is an inefficient food source. Gwenna, um, which uh, any of you up there, you're back, we're glad. Um, but so many people uh, are um, unaware, Gwenna, of these facts. This is what um, I find um, to be so absolutely extraordinary is that people, and I'm trying to give you, your, I'm unmuting you right there. You're going to be unmuted in one second. Unmute, unmute, there we go. Uh, unmute Gwenna Hunter. Let's okay. see. Yeah, there you go, Gwenna. But are people <laughs> aware of this fact? Like, obviously, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement. One of the priorities would be ending hunger. You know, it's it's not people on Park Avenue or in Beverly Hills who are hungry. It's primarily uh, children of color in low-income neighborhoods. So, meat is what creates the food scarcity globally that leads to hunger uh... can you is there a forum or a platform or a way to connect the dots again that that meat and dairy is creating the very problems that the movement is trying to uh, solve
2: yeah it is and you know it's interesting because um... doc i was watching another video from dr milton mills about how he talks about the dairy industry and, and racism and often with groups like black lives matter Uh, when the information comes from another person of color especially someone that is educated in the way that he is and has been doing this for so long it makes them listen instantly so i definitely want to be able to put these two together because if you're creating a revolution and you're changing the planet you need to be doing the very best that you can not just on the outside but on the inside as well and there's not a black person or a person of color i've ever met that didn't say they experienced some form of lactose intolerance. Also, too, with the whole COVID situation, with a lot of these um, meat plants having so many people get sick and die from COVID, it to me, is obvious that the COVID is being spread throughout these plants, and it's probably in the animals, obviously. So if it's in the animals, it's in the meat. If it's in the meat, it's in the grocery store. If it's in the grocery store, it's in the fast food places. So yeah, I definitely want to make sure I can make these type of connections so that uh, we can make the revolution plant-based. <laughs>
1: well, I want to clarify, I want to elaborate on what you were just saying. It's such an important point. Uh, we have to ask the question. We don't have the answers. I'm not running around with a microscope uh, looking at uh, slabs of steak. But we do know it's not disputed. Slaughterhouses are hotbeds of COVID-19, okay. along with prisons, and nursing homes. These are some of the epicenters of COVID-19. We know that thousands of uh, slaughterhouse workers have come down with uh, coronavirus. We know that a lot of them have died. Uh, The numbers change daily, but it was as of June 24th in the neighborhood of 95 deaths. We know that they are in there um, sweating from the workers' rights advocates who have talked to us and said even when they get PPE and sometimes even after they get PPA, they're sweating more because they've got all this stuff on plus their own glasses sometimes in the mass and they're, they're working on the food and they're sweating. Yes. So huh, droplets. Hello. I don't yes. have answers. I'm not saying unequivocally. I'm saying that needs to be investigated because yes. it was just a report that shrimp arrived from Ecuador to China and in the container And that's not a short trip. COVID-19 was found in the shrimp. So the good news is vegan products like Beyond Meat Burger, Impossible Burger, they are untouched by human hands. When they are created, they are created in a system that is automated. In fact, now the slaughterhouses are talking about automating the slaughterhouses, which isn't the answer. Yes. You know, these torturing and slaughtering Billions of animals and then doing it with machines. That's not the answer. The answer is to do the plant-based options that now we've designed to look exactly and taste exactly
2: like the other options. Exactly. And I think, too, when people make the connection to the suffering, because that is that, that little gap right there, is like making the connection to the actual suffering. It was something that, you know, when I did it, I instantly when it was for me it was a cow when I saw what she was going through as a woman I completely completely made the connection and it was I was like I'll never touch cheese or milk or anything like that again so when you have a a organization like uh, Black Lives Matter their hearts are already open because they want to help change the world they want equality and all you have to do is just kind of guide, you know, organizations like this. Like I said, I'm, I'm taking it very easy because I don't want to come across too pushy, but as I get closer to the leaders that are in charge, I definitely want to be able to make these connections because once the leaders in charge make the connection, it's game over. I
1: love it. We've got a caller on the line. Sarah, your question or thoughts. Sarah. Hi.
4: Uh, good morning. My question would be, in certain neighborhoods, and mostly I see this in people of color neighborhoods, I don't see much vegan options. I know, you know, apples, bananas, fruits, vegetables, I understand that. But how do you get the message across? How do you get into these uh, neighborhoods that are just under underserved completely?
1: It's a great question. Food deserts were the only option they have is uh, a bodega that sells candy and Oreos and deli slices and fast food restaurants. What's the workaround for that, Victor Flores?
3: I think those are exactly the communities we need to reach out to. Um, obviously, there's a need there. And uh, if vegans come in and fill the need uh, with you know nutritious food, uh, familiar foods that they know of, Um, it'll be be a start. You know, there's a lot of work to be done there, obviously, not just food, but obviously schools and everything else that's going on. But I think um, if we get in there and, again, like I said, use the similar language, the same language they can understand what we're talking about. And I do want to touch on Buena's point there. Ethics is always what's going to keep you vegan. And if people go for their health, great. If they do it for the environment, great. Uh, Once they hear about ethics, that's what's going to keep you there, and, and we need to stress that message still.
1: All right. We're going to take a very short break here on Voice America Radio. Always like the
3: be Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
0: Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Voice America Radio. We're talking to the amazing Gwenna Hunter of Vegans for Black Lives Matter and Vegan Outreach and Victor Flores of Vegan Outreach, both of whom are doing incredible work taking healthy, nutritious, plant-based food and feeding it to people in need while doing education about the connection between their oppression and the food that we eat, the intersection of, let's just call it what it is, racism and diet. There is a new film that's being created, and in fact, we did something on Jane Unchained just yesterday with, he goes by the name of Badass Vegan, called They're Trying to Kill Us, which really outlines how the diet, the standard American diet, the sad diet, is literally designed to make people sick because the pharmaceutical industry can't kick into high gear and start selling all those cholesterol-lowering drugs and the erectile dysfunction drugs and all of the other things that are multi-multi-billion-dollar drugs if people aren't getting sick. So... Um as the brilliant, brilliant systems analyst, Dr. Silas Rao says, they are factory farming all of us. We are all being factory farmed to make a tiny percentage of Americans, the 0.01% who live in Manhattan or Beverly Hills, richer. There are no real farms. They're being forced out. The, the farms that the Willie Nelsons of the world refer to are being pushed out this is anti-american the two of the biggest meat packers are not even american companies one's chinese owned one is brazilian owned jbs is brazilian owned smithfield is chinese owned so we're all being taken for a ride and and i'd like you to address that uh for a second victor
3: yeah we are being taken for a ride i think again it's not being exposed to this i mean I tell you by personal journey, I was never exposed to any of this, and uh, we need to get it out to the people so they learn about it. And I think, like you mentioned, what Beyond is your
4: Burger.
3: What's up?
1: What is your personal journey?
3: Personal journey. Well, I, I grew up, uh, you know, immigrant family, uh, immigrant parents. Um, I worked in the fields, uh, you know, hauling cotton. I uh, was sprayed with pesticide every time we were out there. Uh, you know, that's how I grew up, very humble family members working in the slaughterhouses, you know, about half an hour away. Um, I grew up, you know, in a Mexican household where all of us were immigrants and every Sunday we'd eat meat, you know, we'd kill a pig and do all that. And just, uh, these cultural things that were, they were kind of imposed on us. I feel, you know, I didn't feel anything was wrong growing up. You know, I just felt I was eating. So you start learning about, you know, how these animals are treated and how they're killed and how they're abused and tortured. It's like you start opening your eyes and you start figuring out like, what else are they not telling me about? You know, and you start realizing all the junk that they've been feeding us and you just start learning so many things. And, um, Luckily, you know, for me, my my partner's vegan, my four children are vegan, my dad's semi-vegan, he's getting there, and we lost my mom about a year and a half ago to heart disease, and fortunately, you know, I I didn't live with them, so they are trying their their best to eat vegan, but again, I think that's something people don't don't realize, they're like, they're just eating, and some people think, just eat chicken, because it's healthier, and and we fall for all that. It's
1: the worst, it's the worst. Okay, we've got some more callers. Susan, what is your question or thought, Susan?
4: Um, my question is how how did the gentleman what was it I may have missed it earlier but what was it that
1: caused your gentleman guest to be vegan I'm curious. Sure. Good question. Um, what was that moment? What was that moment? Because if we could replicate that moment with millions of people, boom, we'll we'll hit that tipping point. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, as men, I guess we can be a little stubborn. So I have to give the credit to my partner, Carla Reyes, uh, for opening my eyes. You know, growing up on a ranch, we obviously knew we were killing animals and eating them. But once uh, she came across factory farming videos, or all their, their process, you know, living on a ranch, we'd chip off the animals and that's it. We, we didn't process them or anything like that, so we didn't think anything of it. But uh, she came across factory farming videos, and after that, you know, it was kind of overnight. You know, the kids, you know, if you guys want to go vegan, this is why we're doing it. And uh, again, sharing our our familiar foods that we already ate before and letting the kids know, hey, we're still going to be able to eat hot dogs. We're still going to be able to eat tacos and hamburgers. Nothing's really going to change regarding what we eat. This is going to be plant-based. And we live our life normally like everybody else. So it's nothing that's exotic or anything like that. So I think relating to what you do is most important. Uh,
1: Once again, it's often, often seeing the cruelty. Uh, What If you did to a dog what we do to billions of pigs, chickens, and turkeys, and cows, you would be arrested and put in jail. But they are exempt from animal cruelty laws. Okay, Paige, your question or thought?
4: Um, Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for for all of this enlightenment. I want to say yesterday I participated in... um, a gentleman by the name of Omawale Adewale, um, who heads up the Black Veg Fest out of uh, New York City. He's leading workshops on how uh, allyship, uh, seven points of allyship, um, for the vegan community to jump into uh, supporting Black Lives Matter and the movement forward to shifting the conversation of you know more more, more uh, alignment and justice and uh, equality within the movement as well. I just wanted to invite people into that conversation, um, that anyone can jump in this Sunday as well, and then I th- believe he's doing two more. But I wanted to say that having a Black Veg Fest, um, a few years back, uh, was really successful, and it wasn't exclusive, and I wanted to say, what do you see for, and I guess I'm addressing, um, Gwenna since she's here in Los Angeles. What do you see for the future of Veg Fest or, uh, partnerships and allyships as far as going forward?
2: Um, well, I'm so happy now that we have, like, a Vegans for Black Lives Matter because I get to see all the allies and people that are intersectional. So, you know, the, the festivals that we've had here, with the exception of um, the one by uh, Jessica Shea, and my mind is, like, blank right now. Um, Street Fair. Much- yes, the Vegan Street Fair. Um, hers is very diverse and very multicultural Um, and then VegFest there's to me it doesn't to the naked eye it just looks white until you have a panel and then there's like maybe one or two people on a panel or there's a diversity panel Um, but would love to see more people involved that are of color in helping create the actual VegFest and being on the committees for the VegFest and even us you know, I'm, it depends. I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth and say this, but I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and say this. It would be great if we had a Black Veg Fest here in Los Angeles um, or something. I know Vic and I, well, why won't we go into that? But we have, you know, a Black and Brown Fest or something like that when all of this stuff is over. Um, because wow. it celebrate cultural identity and cultural food. And it doesn't mean we don't like white people. It doesn't mean you're anti-white it means we want to celebrate our heritage and culture because oftentimes it is suppressed in this world. And so having something like that where you can have your cultural music, your cultural food, you know, you dance, you know, you don't have to like kind of integrate or watch other people. You just get to be your natural self and allow other people to come in and join in and see, you know, how beautiful your culture is. And Janelle, um
1: who is Genesis Butler's mom, says, we had Cena Vegan carne asada tacos for dinner last night. We are not missing out on any traditional dishes, and Cena Vegan is one of the premier uh, Latino vegan um, food um, restaurants, and they have all sorts of programs in Los Angeles. Are they uh, Latino-owned? Latino-owned? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I, I would have to investigate, but they serve obviously the Latin food. But let me say this as far as Latin. First of all, Jessica Shea, who runs Vegan Street Fair, is Puerto Rican, as am I. And um, so we've we've joked about that because we're New York Recans. And uh, so uh, I think she has a natural inclination to bring in diversity and uh, it's an incredibly successful. Obviously, nothing's happening now with COVID, but Vegan Street Fair, Vegan Street Fair Nights, and then their Sunday edition has been incredibly successful in North Hollywood, jam packed with people. I'm also yeah. on the board of Veg Fest LA, and I do agree that we we need to diversify, and it's very important to have uh, diverse voices. And uh, uh, we're we discuss we're discussing that, you know, how to uh, truly make all of these events diverse. Uh, As far as Latino Veg Fest, I was told one day, or I saw something on a Facebook, some one weekend, and it said something about a Latin vegan um, food festival in downtown LA. And I said, I'm getting in my car and going. I want to find out what this is. And I went and it was unbelievable. It was about 40 different booths with different vegan Latin dishes being served from all over the world. We had Argentinian dishes, what? Peruvian dishes, Mexican dishes, Puerto Rican dishes. It was unbelievable. So a lot of things are happening. I don't know, and of course we went live, I don't know if they're getting the kind of publicity uh, that they should be getting. So it's I think it's a multi-pronged issue. I think it's is there enough diversity of course not, but also with the great things that are happening, are they getting the publicity? Do you
2: see what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. Is it as important as a as another veg fest that wouldn't be you know exclusive culturally. So yeah, I totally get that. So, I, didn't, I never
1: heard of it. <laughs> I, I never heard of it either, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. Mom and pop
2: shops that were making vegan food. And, and vegan uh, Argentinian food is unheard of because they are very, very meat-centric. So I know. that's amazing. <laughs> I know.
1: I thought, I am I hallucinating, but it was happening. <laughs> it was happening. And so um, we know that, for example, the um, African American community is the fastest growing demographic of people converting to veganism. Uh, let me ask you, Gwena, do you see that in real time? Because sometimes we see these stats and then we can't really, like that doesn't jibe with my personal impressions, but what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I'm seeing so many groups Created on Facebook that are dedicated to Black vegans. We have like Vegan Soul Sisters, which are strictly for Black vegan women um, that are transitioning or that have already gone through it, and they probably have about 50,000 members. We have Black Vegan Social that has almost 70,000 members, and there is tons of different Black vegan groups, and I'm in a few of them. And people are constantly coming in these groups saying, "Hey." I'm, I'm transitioning, I, I tried this last week, how should I do this? And then people are helping. So based on that, I am seeing more people and more people come in. And that are. Even, what I'm also seeing, just with my own reality, is that also um, a lot of people of color are having more sensitivity to the plight of animals, which is something I didn't see in the beginning when I was first vegan. It, it was like people were going plant-based and it was like, okay, we're just gonna do this for the health. I don't care about no animals. But now I'm like, when I post something about animals, I'm seeing so many black people, people of color, that are like lending their empathy to the animals. And it's just like, ah, yes. Because when that connection is made, like Vic said earlier, when you become ethical and moral about it, you're you're vegan forever. But if you're just doing it for the diet, who's gonna know if you? Go out of town and you're on a road trip and you decide to have a burger, you know, or eat an animal. But when you do it for moral and for ethics and for compassion, you never switch back.
1: Well, one of the things is when that light bulb goes on, it's hard to turn it off. Thank God. When right. you realize the horror, the torture. You know, we look back. I've been watching these shows about medieval uh the medieval world. It started when I started watching about the plague, the Black Death that killed half of Europe in the 14th century. I wanted to understand what's happening to us now and see if history taught us anything. And I learned so much. And then I started watching another great course about medieval life. And they show the torture, You know, the medieval torture museum is almost like a, a, a cliche because there's so many of them. And the way they torture people you know, the rack and the this, and that. And we look in horror and go, my God, how could they have done that? We're doing that to animals on a daily basis. And uh, the society is profiting off it in terms of those small percentage of 1.1 percenters who are getting rich while the rest of us are getting fat, sick, and nearly dead. They're telling us that suffering doesn't count. Don't worry about that suffering. That suffering doesn't count. A, A cow in agony, a pig... In in horrific, horrific agony, that pain, that suffering does not count. It does. It does. We are all paying the price right now. Dr. Silas Rao said, this is an intervention from nature. Go to your rooms. Think about what you've done. Think about how you're living. And either come out more evolved or you're finished.
2: And that's what you do you hit on a really good point because there's a whole movement right now created around how um, people of color, but particularly black women, how their physical pain in the medical industry is often ignored. Really? Okay, Uh, yes.
1: You know what they say, the basis of all suffering, the basis of all evil is that some suffering doesn't count. Suffering is suffering. And it all counts. And so um, I think there's also an inherent racism in the notion that people of color are struggling too much to care about animals. It's like, don't make that judgment for us. That's right. It's not something that is just the purview of elitists who have all their other problems solved. That's Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had this argument about cultural appropriation uh, where people say, oh, you know, uh, Cinco de Mayo, that's cultural appropriation. I said, well, wait a second. No. This entire area where we live, all of California and huge parts of Nevada and many other states were Mexico. They were yeah. the country. Mexico. There's no need. Every single, practically every th- single street in the United States, in, in California, Nevada, New Mexico, you, your Spanish names, La Cienega, La Brea, Los Angeles, all Spanish names. I said, there's no cultural appropriation. The very assumption that it's cultural appropriation means that you're assuming that you're the appropriator. That's,
2: tell them Jane.
1: (laughs) 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 All right, we're gonna take another break. What a great conversation. We're gonna stay live on Facebook. Call in 866-472-5795. Yeah, uh, we got to we got to change these dynamics. Yes. Um, what I think is really important is when a movement happens, that it grows, just like the vegan movement has grown. I want to ask you about how Black Lives Matter. Since you started, when a Vegans for Black Lives Matter, um, on the other side of the break, we'll we'll talk about how maybe it, it might be able to grow into this issue of use your dollars to support your own health and don't use it to subsidize the opposition. We can talk about that a little bit more. And Victor, uh, I want to ask you, you're there in um, with, your, your, you, you said your parents actually worked at a slaughterhouse?
3: No, I had family, Yeah, friends and family. Uh, we worked in the fields and the farms. Yeah. So, uh, we, I, I remember we had a friend that, uh, you know, he had missing fingers and things like that. And, you know, I was little, I asked my dad. and He's like, no, it's his job. And you'd go to his truck. Maybe I'd go, I went to go get something one time. And I saw his gloves. They had like metal gloves. They would have to wear that go up all the way to their sleeves because they're oh, wow. chopping animals up. And, um, you know, people lose limbs all the time. They're used, they're exploited. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, always oh, see people you know fighting for social justice while they're eating a, a meat burger or something like that and it's not their fault it's just they don't know how this relates to everything and that's where we need to get that information out and uh, you know if you're eating a meat burger and you're trying to fight exploitation by eating that meat burger you're exploiting the animals and you're exploiting also the workers that are there being abused and exploited you
1: know well, let me say this and, and Gwenna will chuckle because I have a lot of conflict about people don't know. When you've told them 20, 30, or 40 times, when you've shown them videos, when you've painstakingly made the connection between animal agriculture, human world hunger, habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, climate change, human disease, pandemics, and said it over and over and over again. And people respond with things like, um, "Yeah," and I also don't like to serve diet soda. You know, like dismissive. At what point do we say, you know, it's not denial; it's willful denial; it's hypocrisy? Okay, are I don't even know—are we on Voice America Radio, or are we? On, <laughs> uh, are we coming back, or are we got a break? Okay, we're still on. That's great because we're having a great conversation. Yes, I mean, you know, Gwenna, I've really tried to not experience righteous indignation. It is a character defect of mine. At a certain point, I get really frustrated. And, you know, you've been there uh, where, you know, I remember shouting at Jane Fonda, And animal agriculture said, quote, you be quiet. However, a couple of months later, when she was standing next to Joaquin Phoenix in the same red coat and red hat that she was wearing when she yelled at me, and I yelled at her, uh, Joaquin Phoenix essentially said the same exact thing. Yeah. We need to realize that animal agriculture is a horrific, horrific destructive force in our world she didn't say a word. She didn't tell Joaquin, you be quiet. Yeah. So that was gratifying. Uh, But, you know, we really need to, we need to figure out where does the line, and this is true in the civil rights movement. I mean, uh, the incredible civil rights icon who recently died, we are seeing all these documentaries where I'm learning so much about the nuances of the civil rights movement and how uh, there is this line. Uh, nonviolent, uh, peaceful uh, confrontation. Yes, civil rights movement is all based on nonviolence, but mm-hmm. it nonviolent doesn't mean don't confront. It means confront people on their hypocrisy nonviolently. That's You're right, on that,
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, when this when things really got heated over the past you know a couple of months when it was like at its peak right after George Floyd you know usually I'm someone that I will see the injustice feel the hurt and then try to disconnect because it's it can be very overwhelming um, to stay connected in that but this time I said I didn't want to disconnect I wanted to participate and, and stay in there and be a part of it and that's a lot of work and and, yeah, it's, it's definitely a nonviolent movement. But what has happened, because a lot of people say, oh, people are out there, it's anarchy, they're uprising. Well, people have been suppressed for so freaking long and having to be contained in their little homes and contained in their jobs and contained in rules and laws and watch the injustice and not say anything about it because they have to go to work tomorrow and pay the rent. And now that COVID is going on and people are kind of just like hanging around, people get to uprise and express their anger. But, yeah, I agree. It definitely should be done nonviolently. But people also have to realize, like you said, you still have to confront. And, you know, thank God for this uh, younger generation. They're very freaking fearless. And they're still out there doing the marching and the protesting, even though it looks like things have died down. There was a bunch of drama last Tuesday, downtown L.A., where there was a huge um, uh, protest, and there was police brutality that was filmed, and stuff is still happening right now. It's just not being shown in the media, but it's still, still going on, and it needs to continue.
1: Well, uh, talking about—I have so many thoughts to say— One, I do feel that this COVID quarantine, which is not going away anytime soon, is a major turning point in history. Getting back to the great courses, the plague, you can watch it on television, Uh, the entire society changed in the 14th century. It was a feudalistic society. There were three basic tiers. You were either a peasant, which was most people, or you were a member of the clergy, or you were a noble, and they fought, and never the twain shall meet. And then, when the plague happened and wiped out a lot of Europe, uh, and there was the merchant class sort of off to the side, um, but uh, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of change. Then, when uh, when the plague wiped out half of Europe, uh, things started changing. The, the the serfs, the peasants, said, "Hey, you know, we don't have to work for this guy that we've worked for generations. Uh, somebody over there lost all their uh, workers; they, they're going to pay us more." And all of a sudden, the modern era. <laughs> The law of supply and demand came into the picture. People who could never be clergy, because the clergy was also wiped out, suddenly they were, yeah, we need some more monks and priests. Let's let's get some peasants in here. So uh, the nobles who were decimated and financially decimated realized, we need money to maintain our castles. Let's marry into the merchant class. The merchant class wanted titles. They wanted status. So... Uh, Everything got mixed up, and it introduced the, the the modern era. It's really fascinating. I see a lot of changes happening right now um, as well. My big picture, this is just my opinion, is that there is a an arc with Me Too, which was women's liberation. We all know about the Hollywood casting couch. It had existed for years. It was... Sort of the, I don't know if it's speciesist to say the big elephant in the room. I think so. Let's come up with another phrase. It was the thing that nobody talked about, but it was there. Thank God I never experienced a Me Too moment, but so many people I know have, and so many women I know have. And so there was an uprising. There was a, hey, we're not taking this anymore. No, That's right. we're not going to be told, oh, So-and-so's meetings running long, come up to his hotel room and then be confronted with a guy in a robe and a you-know-what. yeah, Saying, take care of me if you want this talk. That was the old, there was an uprising. Now we have another kind of uprising. What I see are cracks in the old system. And you almost can see what's happening with the administration at St. Vitus Dance the last hurrah of the old system before it crumbles. Yes. And this is that phrase, St. Vitus Dance, where something hits a frenzy and then dies, you know, like an extreme activity before the end. So I feel we're in a tremendous cycle of change. And Dr. Silas Rao said, all of that has to happen before we get to the animals. In other words, it's we have women, we have people of color, and now we can also speak, for nature, for the environment, and for the other beings. And it's not putting anybody down to say that they also count. This is the, um, well, there we go. There's that righteous indignation again that I deal with. But the idea that for some reason, if you want to show compassion to an animal, that means you are denigrating people or you're saying that the problems of people don't count is absolutely outrageous who wants to address that victor
3: yeah no it's totally true uh, you know you hear like what about the children uh, working on this what about the the adults working on that and you know it's more important than the animals and i think that that goes to show like how we've come across in society lately it's like you know black lives don't matter right now let's worry about other things you know uh the children and the detention camps and immigration camps don't matter let's worry about something else now um it's it's all distractions and we need to focus on everything it, it all intersects you know if, like i said if you're eating a meat burger you're exploiting not just the animals you're exploiting the workers um some people say well you know vegetable farmers uh, they're exploited too uh when you go vegan and it's like yeah that is true and we we're not saying that we're a, a purist you know type of lifestyle but no, what I, happens I
1: have a response to that argument yeah. People go, well, when you eat vegetables, you know they kill them mice and they kill all those other animals yeah. there. Well, guess what? If you eat meat, which is compressed vegetables, it takes 8 to 25 pounds of grain to make one pound of steak, you're killing more animals because you are actually taking up more vegetables. The That's- truth is, if we went vegan, as a culture, we could reforest large portions of the earth that are now grazing land. We're only 7.8 billion humans. We're raising and killing 70 billion, at least, land animals every year. They're doing all the eating. They're the ones that are accelerating climate change
3: yeah and I have to say too, uh, picking vegetable and being abused is horrible too, but it doesn't compare to being surrounded in blood and, and body parts all the time. so it's like we got to you know take certain parts out and go step by step and remove the slaughterhouse process and just abolish any any type of animal product, which it, we don't need it. It's just ridiculous to still hang on to these old-fashioned ideals. they're like we need to move on and we need to evolve.
1: Gwenna Hunter. You are a leader in the vegan movement as well as Victor. We're two leaders, but I want to talk to you about Vegans for Black Lives Matter that you came up with. How did you come up with that? And that's brilliant because like it was like thousands of people started signing up immediately.
2: Yeah, and you know it's interesting we now we decline more people than we let in now so that we can create we finally found a a decent energy in the group and a good level of understanding and I want to keep it I'm trying not to let it grow too fast um but yeah it was really another sounds I I would love to say oh I was up you know doing all this stuff overnight and then I came up with this brilliant idea it literally felt like a download and it was like around 11 o'clock at night and I'm by the sink and all of a sudden something just said vegans for black lives matter and I was like Ding! And so I created it. Literally, it was like a ding. (laughs) And I just assumed it would be about, I'm like, okay, we'll probably get about 250 people that'll be down for the cause. I just put a picture in there. And I really don't like to make groups because they require a lot of attention and a lot of nurturing and you have to create content and topics. And I'm like, I don't have time for all that, but I'm like, eh, 200 something people I can manage. So I kept the group open, not thinking anybody would be interested. And the next day, there were five hundred people in the group. I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> well, you you were at the right moment, the intersection
1: yeah. of racism. That's the topic that we're discussing today. So, yes. I want to ask you. This is my personal belief. Okay, I this is my opinion. I feel that if the, the Black Lives Matter movement has made many headlines, but everything has to morph and change, if it were the leaders, which you've been you've been dialoguing with and talking to some of them, were to harness the financial power of all the people who are protesting. What an incredible power base leverage. Leverage, as they say in the society money talks. Uh, we have a, a program, Boycott Meat. You can go to boycottmeat.com. I didn't create it. It was created by Forward Latino, an organization that represents slaughterhouse workers and other um, uh, industries, people who work in other industries, but based out of Iowa, which is like the meat capital of America, and we are urging people to boycott meat in solidarity with slaughterhouse workers who are getting COVID nineteen, getting sick and dying, and uh, all, all because the administration has said that meat is an essential product, which it's not. I don't need it. You don't need it. Look, here we are. Right. Um, in fact, statistically, we have better health stats than the general public. So, what what I urge all these groups as we're wrapping up now is to think about ways to morph and grow and use the power of the purse to make a statement while simultaneously stopping climate change, human world hunger, human disease, and suffering of animals. Thank you so much. I love both of you. What a great conversation!
0: Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.